to the afterword. Uh, before we start, a big shout out to Andy May. We have a little mixing board here now, so our hope is that it actually sounds better on the back end. That's our hope. Less maybe cars going by, less you can hear us breathing. <laughs> That's the hope. Yeah. Uh, welcome to the afterword. This pot in this podcast, we desire to explore the text more from what was just preached. Uh, there's lots of things that we can explore every week. Uh, questions we may have, things that weren't addressed. We have questions about different uh, different pieces of it all. And then we also want to hit on what do we see of God's glory in the text? How do our how are our hearts responding? How, how are our affections respond to what we see of God in the text? So we want to hit those two things. I'm joined today by Vince Black, pastor elder of the Town Church, and for the first time, drum roll. Okay, not not really a drum roll. <laughs> Carrie Nevins. Uh, Carrie Nevins is joining us today. Our sir Richard is traveling. Yep, Richard's traveling. Josh is napping. Carrie is on staff as well. Oh, this is bad of me. I don't know your title. Your title is? Holding all things together, maybe? Chaos tamer? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Helping us. (laughs) Carrie does the job of making us look like we know what we're doing. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. So Carrie is joining us today. Uh, Let's start with this. Here's our intro question. We're going to learn a lot about each other right now. Give me a pet peeve of yours. What's a pet peeve? You want to start? You yeah, got, I'll you, start. I got lots of them. Oh, I know you do. <laughs> I'll just choose one, though. Right. I'm going to choose driving. That one seems pretty uh, safe, I guess. Um, I live up by Mulberry and Timberline. And Why don't you give us your address? <laughs> specific <laughs> coordinates of your house. So people can egg my mm-hmm. house. Um, so if you're driving south on Timberline, approaching Mulberry, and you want to move on to Mulberry, heading west, there's a little lane it's not really an on-ramp, but it's a little lane before you merge into traffic. And uh, my kids are all trained in this now. So, so what drives me nuts is if you st- a car stops like halfway on the on-ramp. Mm. Because on-ramps are there so you can pick up speed, so you can move easily into traffic. But if you're stopped, you can't do that. Yeah. And, then, and then the line just backs up, backs up, backs up, backs up. And so my kids, I, this is probably not good, but my kids have started to notice it. Oh, well, and they all started yelling at cars. I, don't, I would never yell at a car. Oh, sure. <laughs> they they, they probably learned that from Cassie. <laughs> yeah, probably from Cassie, the nice one. Um, yeah, so that, that's a pet peeve. Everybody, let's use the on-ramps to accelerate up to highway speed, and then it's really easy just to merge right in. So it's not a highway. We'll, we'll just get out that out <laughs> it's there. It's 50 there, though, there, right there. Yeah, but not immediately. No, but when you they're have merging to, in. Yeah. So you're talking about the far right lane on Timberline as you're going south. No, far right far right lane on Mulberry as you're heading west. So oh, that one. On yeah, Mulberry. that makes more sense. But there is that little lane going south on Timberline also. Off of Mulberry? Yeah, because it merges. Yes. If you're coming from your house yeah. and that little lane on the right, yeah. sometimes I use that as getting around the slow traffic on the left quickly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So don't do that either. <laughs> All right. What's a pet peeve, Carrie or Vince, of yours? Uh, I, I mean, I'm I'm pretty content in all circumstances. Mm-hmm. So I don't have. You're so godly. Yeah. When people no. mispronounce words. Yeah. Well, that happens. <laughs> Today, our sponsor is Quudova. Qu- no, you can't go. You can't go there. <laughs> Qu- I didn't say who mispronounced that. <laughs> Quudoba. Um, I, Eric, you brought it up earlier whenever I was trying to figure out what my pet peeve is. Uh, 
cold coffee. So a couple things, cold coffee. So if you have a mug of coffee and you set it down and you get sidetracked by something else, pick it back up and realize that it's cold or lukewarm, it's disgusting. You got to throw it out. And some people choose to buy mm-hmm. iced coffee, which is even worse. What's your problem with iced coffee? It's like cooked carrots. What's your problem with cooked carrots? <laughs> Things that uh, are not meant to be. Right? Huh. Huh. <laughs> huh. All right. So I'll, I'll sit alone in that one. That's fine. It's just a pet. I don't like it. It's just yeah. me. It's me. All right. It's me. I'll, I'll take it. I have lots of others, I'm sure. But. Okay, but even on a really hot day. Yeah. Water. Ice, for some ooh, ice water. You hot still... coffee. I will still drink. I will sit on my front porch when it's 110 degrees. And if I need caffeine or want caffeine, I would drink hot a, a mug of hot coffee before iced coffee. Yeah, but in the winter, you also will heat up just hot water and drink just hot water. You're doing that right now. Yeah, I'm drinking hot water. And which isn't probably normal either for most people. Not in... But, oh, I, I don't know. We're going to do one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Carrie, All Carrie, right. What's um, this is probably more my problem than a fault that I see in others and the way that they do things. But um, I cannot stand it when like we're watching television or a movie or even a performance and somebody's making mouth noises beside me. Well, okay, so what do you mean by like, mouth noises? Well, like at a movie, it would be chewing food. Okay. But, like, you have the whole time during the start, you know. <laughs> to get all that out. <laughs> to shove down your popcorn and stop chewing. <laughs> but, like... My husband will. Even hey, let's maybe... not let's not point out okay, names. Okay, but somebody in my family might chew their nails a little bit, huh. and I hear it like oh. it's it's like ten times louder than it probably is. It just, hmm. I think that it's actually a thing. It's a problem, but um, I cannot stand mouth noises. They're awful. But is it primarily just when you're trying to watch something, or is it mouth noises at any time? I think I notice it just at those times because it's quieter, and I'm anticipating being able to focus on something else, and then there's this <laughs> mouth noise. little thing creeping in that I can't <laughs> stop listening to. Um, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, you know you. it. Yeah. Hey, here's... don't use that against me. <laughs> well, you've already you've already outed your husband, so how are we going to use it against you? Yeah, I mean, like. Don't walk up behind me chewing something loudly. I might freak mm-hmm. out at you. What about mouth breathing? Would that do it too? Yeah, that's oh, all. Yeah, it does. Anything. Oh, from really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Huh. Here's, here's the thing, though, about pet peeves. Let's, re- let's remind ourselves about this. They are annoyances. And we had this book for our kids growing up, and we read it all the time. There's no such thing. It was about two sheep. And the one sheep said to the other, there's no such thing as an annoying sheep, only an annoyed sheep. That's good. There we go. Should we just close it, close in prayer? Amen. I need that book. So people who drink iced coffee are not wrong. I'm in the wrong for being frustrated about that for them. And I won't point out your faults, but 
Let's say you have yeah. something about your spouse that you don't really <laughs> like. That's more on you than it is on them. True. Absolutely. Or drivers. No, no. I think that's where it's different. Because there is like a right way to use the on There we go. Okay. There's a right way to sit and watch a movie. There's a right way to <laughs> There's a right way to clip your nails, right? There's a right way to drink coffee. We are going to move on. <laughs> hey Vince, could you give us a recap of Ezra four from yep. yesterday for us? Yeah, so Ezra four, uh, I, I should say this. There have been some questions about the way that Ezra 4 is laid out and the reasons why I chose the way I chose to look at it. Good questions, fair questions, and there are um, a variety of ways to look at it. And so I'm not saying there are a variety of truths. We have to keep that in mind with God's Word. There aren't a variety of truths that we get to choose. But sometimes there are interpretive differences, and when that doesn't go against the truth of who God is, I think those are open for discussion and open for um, reasonable consideration. So one of the the ways that, well, let me back up and say Ezra 4 is, the way I took it, was that um, verses 1 through 5 are um, the current story in the in the time frame of what we've been going through. So Ezra one, Ezra two, Ezra three. The people are coming back um, from exile into their lands. They are settling into their lands. They have rebuilt the altar. The foundation uh, of the the temple has been laid, and they're now in process of working on rebuilding the temple. Verses one through five of chapter four are in line with that. So that's in the same time frame. It's moving in that direction. When you get to verse 6 of chapter 4, verse 6 through verse 23, you've got this little parenthetical um, um, excursus that points us forward to what's happening in the book of Nehemiah, um, about a 60-year period of the ways in which the people Um, stand against opposition for the building of the city. So if you see the differences, verses 6 through 23, it's often talking about the city or um, the walls being rebuilt. So there is this change from temple to city or walls being rebuilt. And then you get to verse 24, sorry, the last verse of the chapter, and it goes back to the temple. So the way I look at it is verses 6 through 23 are an excursus pointing forward um, to the opposition that will uh, will be faced in the coming years for the people um, through different letters that have been written against the people um, and different kings that have come in to oppose the people. Looking forward to that. So that's one way to look at it. That's the way I chose to look at it um, after re- looking, doing some study. And also I think a compelling argument there is um, even some of the prophecy that, that points at how the people stopped work on the temple um, and also prophecy about the rebuilding of the city. It seems to be in line with how Ezra 4 is laid out. Now, there are other ways of looking at it. Sorry, this is getting long. I'll, I'll cut it off here soon. It's okay. Um, there are other ways of looking at it that some of the names being used in Ezra four are not not the the they're not names like Steve or John, but they're titles. And because they're titles, we're not really sure who some of these rulers are. And because we're not sure who they are, it may be. Um, it may be in chronological order talking about some different areas that are 
are being rebuilt along the way. So that's a way to look at it as well. Um, that didn't make as much sense to me as I was looking at the chapter. So um, uh, real quick, uh, coming back, rebuilding the temple, they face opposition. People are trying, w- want to help them rebuild, but these are these are pagan people who worship other gods. That they don't want that because they don't want to. Um, they don't want to be pulled back into idol worship. They know what's happened because of that. They say no. They face opposition because of it. Yeah. Thank. Thank you. Um... By the way, can I say I got some questions yesterday about this, and we also were emailed some questions. We want that. That helps us. I think it helps. Helps all of us, not just us in here in this freezing cold room, but but all of us as a church. I love that people are um, thinking about this, studying God's word, processing these things, trying to figure out the time frame and the, the flow of this. I had a question yesterday. Somebody said, do you think it'd be possible to get um, a timeline of the different kings? Because so, we see so many of them, and it'd be really nice to have a timeline of how the different kings line up. So that's something I'll, I'll look into as well. Yeah, so big picture we've we've seen so far in Ezra, Israel will be called back to God, by God to the promised land. They go, how, how long a journey did you say that was? Like a four-month journey or something to get there? I think Richard said that last week. I haven't, okay. I haven't seen that. Okay. I haven't looked. It would have been a while. It would, yep. it would have been a journey. They get back to Jerusalem. Walls are destroyed. Jerusalem's destroyed. Temple's not there. They get to work, first building an altar, and now they've laid the foundation. And saw. foreigners are living in their land. Yes. So remember that. Yes. They've also laid the foundation to the temple, and now here we are in, in Ezra 4, which now we see this opposition pop up, and yeah. a severe opposition, like yeah. powerful opposition to the people who are um, obeying God, really. Uh, and so I think, what I don't know if I have a question here, but I have a topic I want to talk to. I want to hear your thoughts, Carrie and Vince, on this. Um, so God has called the people to this, to come back, and rebuild the temple. They are in the process of obeying God to rebuild the temple. And while they're they are doing the very thing that God called them to do, some severe opposition arises. Severe opposition arises within God's sovereignty. Like this isn't surprise God. Like Rahum didn't come to power somehow outside of God's control and sovereignty and foreknowledge and all of those things. And Artaxerxes wasn't king somehow. I know this is a foreshadowed in Nehemiah. Um, all those things are still within God's sovereignty. It, like God's in control of it, and his opposition for the in front of the people to obey the very thing that God is calling them to do that they are indeed doing. Mm-hmm. So their obedience now is facing some severe challenges and obstacles <laughs> under the sovereignty of a good God who's called them to do those very things. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so. Um, I've been I've I've been thinking about that a lot. And what does that say about God? What does that say about God's priorities? About God's values? I think a part of us wants to say, well, if you start to obey what God's calling you to do, then it should be at least kind of pave the way. Like God should maybe remove some obstacles, or so at times I think He does that, but maybe makes it smoother. But here in here in Ezra, and we see this all through the Bible, um, our obedience encounters at many times some severe obstacles under the sovereignty of a good God who's called us to do that very thing of obedience. How do we think about that? Well, what, what sort of things come to mind or maybe even personal things that you've seen in your own life, big or small? Um, what does this say about God? 
that, that he calls us to th things, but then also allows severe opposition to the very things he calls us to. Does that make sense? It, yeah. I'm kind of wrestling with all those different pieces in that. Yeah. Uh, could it say, uh, and we can talk, let's talk, but the thing that came to mind as you were saying that is, could it say about God that he is more concerned about the process of obedience than he is the timing that we have in mind? Meaning, um, is he more concerned about the process of what would be built in the character of the people through opposition and through their trial and through their coming back and through their being tested in their faith and through their hard work together and, and all of that? Could it say more about God's desire for the process to be worked out than it does about the timing? And I think often our timing is what we think is right and best. And so the, for the people, they want to come back and they want to get to work and they want to get this done and they want to get on with life. But is God more, uh, these are questions. See, if you put them in a, put it in the form of a question, you can say whatever you want <laughs> and it doesn't have to be. But, but could God be more concerned about the process than he is about the timing? Thoughts? Did that hit at what you were getting at, Eric? Yeah, I think it's one of the angles. I think it's yeah. something to talk through, yeah. What do you think about that? I think at the very least, and this hits what you're asking, I think at the very least we have to say that from God's point of view, what he's valuing or his point is bigger than just the act of obedience itself or just getting to like the completion yeah. of the obedience. It must be. Otherwise, I would assume it would be a paved road every time if that was the if that was the only point so something else must be at work or at play here and maybe it's a value of a process maybe it's it's something else also almost yeah. i'll go ahead Carrie. no i i was just gonna say i think i you know we see through scripture um that he wants us to be faithful yeah. and oftentimes you know things get in the way of that. And we see this in the story, in the story, they're discouraged and then, then they're afraid. And I mean, that, that's what happens to me. I get discouraged mm. and then I feel afraid. Like, well, what mm. if God doesn't really have this? What if this, what if I heard him wrong? Mm. What yep. if this wasn't really his plan? Yeah, that's right. And, um, so it's really that underlying fear. Like, do I really believe God is who he says he is or that he's got me in this, you know, that he's, got my family, hmm. our interests in mind, maybe not our interest, our best in mind, not our interests necessarily, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah, because we have to, I think that's, that's good, Carrie. I think that's where all of our hearts probably go whenever, whenever we have something in mind um, that we believe God has put in front of us, called us to whatever language we want to use. I struggle with all of the language because all of the language has baggage with it somewhere, right. right? Has God really called me to this? Well, it seems that way, but can we be certain? I don't know. Um, you know, what, what, could the people have come back and said, God called us to complete the temple before Passover. We know that that's what he's called us to do. Well, clearly it wasn't because there was a, I mean, they had to wait. They just, they, they did stop. They didn't have to. So, um, so I think our hearts go there in this place of like, um, I don't know, maybe I heard God wrong or maybe 
what I heard wasn't God. Maybe it was me. Maybe it was something I desired and thought it was God. It wasn't ungodly. It wasn't sinful. But what's going on here? Does God really have this? Is he really over this? And, and so our minds begin to spiral out on that. Yeah, I would think when Israel gets that letter back from Artaxerxes saying, stop the work, surely that'd be a time to start to question if you weren't already. Like, oh, so did God really want us to continue working on this or not? Because if he did, it seems like he wouldn't have put somebody in power that then just tried to shut it down. Yeah. So are you, are you equating, Eric, the, the work, I'll just keep going on that direction, the fact that Artaxerxes shut it down, are you equating that with um, that wasn't a part of God's plan? That was a part of God's plan? What What are you, have you thought through that? Uh, I, I'm assuming, well, I'm not assuming, I think you probably strongly say it was absolutely part of God's plan. I think I'm wrestling from the human perspective, though not seeing the full decree sure. from eternity past, right? And so... If I'm trying to discern, did, call, did God indeed call me to this? There are ways into this, right? Did God indeed call me to this? Um, if he did so, why are things so stinking hard to try to follow what I think is obedience in this case? It starts to raise a lot of questions, I think. So I'll, I'll just keep pushing, yeah. playing the de- devil's advocate, <laughs> since there's the, I'm the opposition. Um, so you know you're in line with God's will when things are working out well and are easy. Well, I think that's one of the application points, but that's obviously not true. Yeah. But there's a part of my heart, and I'm assuming for many people's hearts, that does tend to go that way, right? Because I don't know all the whys, why God would make it hard, why he'd put, op- why he'd put opposition in place. Um, I think we can start talking about some of that. Maybe it's process. Maybe it's something else. There's obviously more things that work there than just the obedience itself. Hmm. Um, and that's what I think I'm most interested in. What are those other things? And we were not going to know all this, but from scripture, from this text, can we maybe discern are there other things that are at work there that, that uh, maybe provide a justification? I know God doesn't need our justification, but provide the justification why it can be so hard to obey when, we, when we're certain that the path that we're following isn't even an act of obedience. I think something that comes to my mind for this is, um, and these, we, a lot of this question or the, this discussion is helpful. It's helpful to apply, but I'm not sure that we'll ever land on an answer because mm-hmm. we, can't, we can't know where God is leading ultimately or why he's doing the things he's doing. We question why all the time. But something we've thought a, a lot about as a family is, you know, we believe, I believe God's called me into ministry, um, specifically ministry here in Fort Collins, specifically to the town church. Um, and along with that has come some hardship. Um, and, and so, of course, our minds go to, are those related? Are Is the enemy um, at work looking for ways to get in? Is this God... Um, allowing, um, seeing fit to have obstacles there so that we would persevere and learn something um, uh, in a lot of different ways. We talk about that. Kirsten and I talk about this often about what is going on. Would I mean, we've asked the question in our in some of our dark moments, we've asked the question, oh, would things be so much easier in life if we weren't in ministry? And 
who knows, right? The answer to that is who knows? I don't, who knows? I don't know if that's true or not. But I think that's where our minds can go often. I'm moving toward obedience. What I feel like God's calling me to do, um, things are not necessarily going to be easy. Is that is that a sign to stop? Yeah. Or is that a sign that this is something to endure? You know, and it's hard to, hard to know. Mm-hmm. Have you guys experienced anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, our family moved here um, to Fort Collins to be part of a church plant. And yeah. we felt fully that this was the Lord's will for us. And things, you know, we were able to buy a house, which felt like a very clear sign <laughs> that yeah. God's favor is on this decision, you know. Um, but, you know, not long into the church plant, things went awry and, Hmm. and the plant ceased to exist. And we thought, gosh, we, we felt like we were in the center of God's will and Hmm. being obedient in moving our family and coming to serve in this way, this, this new church. And, um, I mean, I think that it brought some questions for me, Hmm. like, wait, shouldn't this have been, if this were really God's will, why didn't this work out? Shouldn't this have been easier in some way or, I don't know. That's helpful. I think that's a good, that's a good example of that. But I think it goes back to, Carrie, I think it goes back to, again, timing, right? So you said, uh, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, correct me where I'm wrong. Uh, You said, um, we thought this was God's will. We thought we were, and maybe what you went through, not maybe, what you went through was a part of God's will. But in your mind, did you have an end conclusion of what it, what it would have looked like? And that's a part of timing, right? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you have this end goal of like, Hey, we came here to do this and this X, Y, and Z is what that looks like. Yeah. And I think that big picture though, if I'm honest in my heart, it's really more about our glory or our success, right. you know, in the thing, like, this is how I pictured it. I pictured it being, being awesome. And, yeah. you know, somehow our family playing this really important role, which is ridiculous, you know? Have you experienced that, Eric? Not really. I never, I don't think experienced <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next question. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm thinking even, uh, maybe smaller everyday things. Like it's obviously an act of obedience is me, husband and father to lead my family well, to care for my kids well, to care for my wife well. Why is that so hard? Whether it's I'm weary or emotional, like just stuff with my kids or me and my wife or just not connecting or life just seemed like it creates two ships passing in the dark and this kind of thing where obedience and that feels really hard at times. Um, and so, I, if if all of life is to God's glory, as Paul makes really clear in Romans, and we don't always know how that how that works out. Then it seems to be that even when it's hard for me to father well and to be a husband well, somehow me being obedient in the midst of it, um, it's suffering is too hard a word for that situation. But even the midst hey, parenting, of, <laughs> there are sometimes <laughs> suffering. Of pushing through that somehow brings God more glory. I don't know how that all is, 
Um, maybe it's because it shows others, my own heart, that he's worthy of it to push through anyway. Um, maybe it it shows a watching world something. Maybe it, it trains me up and builds my faith. And so that's something that you mentioned earlier, Vince. Maybe it's something about the process itself. I mean, we see... That, that's really my conclusion with why Jesus spent three years with the apostles, with the disciples. Like, why did he spend three years? He could have miraculously just put all the information they needed in the first week and had them all answer the right questions. But he spent three years with these guys, being patient, answering questions, and walking them through. And no, I'm going to say the same thing again and again and again. There's something about the process. And so... Timing. Yeah, and timing. So timing. Maybe that applies here. When you look at Israel, why all the opposition as they're building this temple and, and the city walls? There's something about this process. There's something about the suffering itself in the midst of it that shows God's worthiness or shows his glory in some way. I don't know if we can tease all that out, but surely it's got to be part of the answer at least. Yeah, there's there's so much of God of the history of God's people that's about waiting. And whilst, while much of it was prophesied, even the 400 years of slavery in Egypt was prophesied. That was, God said, this is going to happen. But you know, I shouldn't say you all, because maybe you don't know this. Maybe you don't feel this. If I were them, I'd be like, yeah, we'll see. We're not going to be slaves for 400 years. That's not going to happen. Um, we're going to get through this. I think we've all had moments like that where, there's some long-term thing, and we either say, oh, this is going to be miserable, or, oh, this isn't going to happen like that. Um, God said it was going to happen. But anyway, all that to say, um, so much of Israel's history, of God's people's history, is waiting. It's timing. It's this process of walking through. And we want to see A plus B, right, equals C. This is what you've called us to, so here we go. I was talking to somebody yesterday about this. We were talking, having the same conversation. And they said, you know, I really had this idea that God had called me to this thing. And then a family circumstance came up. And that was years ago, six, seven years ago, that I thought God had called me to this thing. And so it's not there. I'm, I'm you know, I'm not, I'm not in that, in that world. And, um, but he, and I would say to that yet, Right? If it was God's call, he didn't mess up. Right? He, didn't, he didn't somehow miss the memo or forget the calendar reminder or whatever. Mm-hmm. We would just have to say yet. Right? God, if God's called you to this and it has not happened, then the, the word that we need to add to that is yet. It hasn't happened yet. Um, but it's time, it feels like timing. Right, and that's what I was getting at with you, Carrie. Like, you are here, like, uh, and God called you all here, and He had a good work for you all to do. Um, and, and in your minds, it was a part of X Church, and now you're a part of Y Church. But are some of the same things being carried out that you were called to do? I don't know. I'm not putting that answer in your head, but I, I just wonder if it's about timing and about our perspective of it. It raises an interesting question because in Israel's case, in Ezra 4, through the prophets, it, it is pretty clear that their stoppage, ceasing of obedience in building the temple um, was disobedience. 
Yeah. And so in that case, when the opposition arose, they were supposed to continue to rebuild regardless, but they stopped. Um, so God called them to do something where there would be intense opposition where, and what does it say, like powerful men came in and forced them to cease. Um, that would happen, and yet they were still supposed to continue to, to rebuild anyway. And so within God's economy, within his sovereignty, within his goodness, somehow all of that had to have taken place so that God would receive more glory and that their eyes would be fixed on the worthiness of their God because of the opposition itself. It blows my mind. I think it affects my expectations when God calls me to something or just in my day-to-day obedience. We don't have to try to discern where the Spirit wants you to do this. Yeah, the Spirit wants you to take care of your family, well, those sorts of things. My expectation should not be um, that it should be maybe easier than it is or that there won't be suffering involved or there won't be... Uh, intense opposition or obstacles involved. And in fact, they may be there and they need to be there so that God is somehow more glorified in all of it. It just starts to mess with some things and, and maybe that I have expectations. Hmm. I, I don't think I would say theologically, I know those aren't correct because we see, like you said, Jesus calls us to obedience and he promises suffering. Paul's life, full of suffering. Yeah. He, he was obedient. And yet when it comes to my life, I think, oh, maybe I'm an exception or somehow, you know, like, and what did Paul, and what did Paul say? This is this came to mind when you were saying that. Paul said, "And I have learned to be content, in in all circumstances." I think that's the thing that's extremely convicting to me, as I look at something like God. God's called me to this. My call is to be obedient in this, but man, I'm facing opposition. Can I be content even in that? Even in that opposition, even in, in for Paul's case, imprisonment. And still he says, I've learned to be content. So whatever that is, whatever suffering, hardship, you know, is, I've learned also to be content. And how can you be content in that unless there's a a, a, a deep trust in who God is and what he's doing? Yeah. Can I throw out a question that doesn't have an answer, but it'd be fun and people may call us. <laughs> call us. So is, yeah, who calls us? So was the disobedience of the people. Oh, you're going to go there. Okay. <laughs> ordained by God. Yes, I knew it. <laughs> All right. Next question. Next we'll leave question. it. <laughs> really? We're just going to leave it. We're just going to leave it. Chase, I'm looking for you to give me a call on this one. <laughs> we should we should actually talk about it sometime. Whoever land. Okay, um, sometime. We'll leave that. <laughs> we'll wait for Richard. He can straighten us out. Yeah, Richard can come straighten us out. Uh, let's ask let's ask this question, and then we're going to wrap up here pretty quick. So, just a couple minutes on this question. A big piece of, from the text that we saw yesterday through the sermon was how do we then respond as Christians to the opposition that we face? And one of the texts that you used, uh, Vince, was beginning at Haggai, where we see Haggai say several times, consider your ways. People consider your ways. Yeah. Um, and so I, I wonder, as we think about, as we face opposition, for, for you two individually, Carrie and Vince, are there things that... Um, that stick out or the spirit brought up or how do you process this strong charge from a Haggai to consider your ways that maybe there's something that actually is a piece of disobedience or a piece that you're approaching um, uh, God or what he's called you to do 
wrong. And you gave a couple examples of that yesterday, how we could report project wrong. And, and one was, um, uh, a, a big, uh, I'm not going to use your words, but like shift our attention or, or, or think about what God's called us to differently or wrongly, I suppose. Um, the other one is just to disobey, just to cease, like yeah. to give up on it, right? Yeah, we lose lose sight of God's plan, or we yeah. give up on God's plan. There are probably other responses, but those are two that we see in the text. And Haggai's strong words are, consider your ways. I'm curious, so just out of this text in general, Ezra 4, how's your heart interacting with it? Is it the Spirit bringing anything to mind? Is as we listened through the sermon yesterday, as we're, our talk now, how, how is your heart personally interacting with Ezra 4? Yeah, I think that thing that hit me, uh, and I won't, I won't talk about the sermon, because uh, that seems weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but just as I study and think about it, even I, this is helpful for me to talk through it with you all. And um, The thing that hit me is the verses from Haggai, the beginning the beginning verses of Haggai chapter one, where God really calls the people to account. They have, they have focused more on their own uh, comfort, their own, um, oh, what other word to use there? Their own, uh, yeah, the things they want to be doing with life. So they're building their own homes and they've taken a break from, building the temple for us we think well what's the big deal for them that was the way they worshiped god so really what god is saying is you care more about you than you care about me and he says consider your ways um i think that that hit me yesterday because i don't know uh so many times over the last months where i've just thought most about me or, or our family um and we're just now getting to a place again, I think, where we're beginning to think, oh, what does God want for us here? And not just, oh, man, we're grieving or we're struggling or we're wrestling with this, but what would God have for us here? So I think that that like slap in the face of consider your ways was, was the thing that hit me. Um, and you're applying that largely by motives. Is, is that what you're saying? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, what, what are my motives? What are my... Um, I, really, what is my focus? I, the words in Hebrews are so helpful. The way I learned to memorize it was uh, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Um, I think that's it, right? Are my eyes fixed on Jesus or are they fixed on me? Um, am I considering me more than I am? The God, God who's called me to worship him. So... Thanks. Carrie, anything come to mind? Yeah, I think um, likewise, the consider your ways um, piece was important to me, and it's something I've continued to think about. Um, in, but I sort of, I, I think I thought of it more like um, determine your ways or order your ways. Like, hey, um, do you trust me here? Hmm. Like, you've you've made some decisions to move forward in this way or in this this vein of obedience and now some little things come in and and thrown you off but like didn't you determine already Carrie Mm -hmm. that (laughs) you were going to follow me in this Mm -hmm. and I mean I think with the women's study we're seeing that um with Abram um 
you know, God has continued to say, I will, I will do this thing. I will make this thing come to pass. And, you know, he's contriving other methods for making um, the promises happen for him. And it's like, yeah, consider your ways, Abram. Like, what has God told you? And so I think that's, that's what kept sticking out to me. Like, consider your ways, Carrie. Like, yeah. What has he already determined for you and how, how should you be ordering your responses right now based on what you know of God and the way you've seen him continue to be faithful, even when there are absurd challenges in your path, you know, that, that in some situations could just take me out and thwart, thwart at least my plans. Not, I don't think they would thwart God's plans hmm. necessarily, but um, yeah. So the consider your ways piece, I think, was big for me. It sounds almost like a, a challenge to believe that God's character is what God's character is, and he's consistent with who he is yeah. in the face of you know whatever opposition or suffering that there is. Even when we don't know his end game. I think it's hard. His character is still the same. It doesn't change. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah we've wrestled. We've wrestled. Kirsten and I have wrestled, wrestled, wrestled with that. He's still the same. Yeah. Gloriously so. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to answer that question because what we talked about for the first majority of the podcast is how I'm wrestling through the text of God's sovereignty and opposition. Yeah. So I want, I want to ask this last question. Where in Ezra 4 do we see God's glory? What in Ezra 4 raises our affections for our good God? I can answer right away. I, um, I don't, yeah, that's, that's a hard question. I think sometimes, Eric, because it's not explicit in the text, so we actually have to think. Um, <laughs> but I think for me, the, the, I, and I voiced some of this yesterday while I didn't give personal examples. The thing for me is that the people, the people said no to help from uh, outside to work on the temple. Um, and they did that largely because the people who offered to help were not people who were honoring God, worshiping God. And so they cared so much about the purity of the temple and the worship, not and, um, primarily about the worship of God is what they cared about so much that they would even turn down something that would have practically made it easier for them. And so I th- w- w- the, to answer your question, how does this help us see, I think that was super, it was honoring to God that they would do that. And, and it gave up something of ease that would have helped them, and they honored God so much that, that they would shove that aside. That was power, that's powerful to me to think that's the kind of honor God deserves, um, calls us into, and cares about in our worship the purity of our worship. Yeah, and mine's tied to that. That example, and also the example of opposition being in the middle of why, why we're called to obey, uh, I've, I'm impressed with how worthy God is of us to obey anyway. So whether it's now it's harder to build a temple, we could have used help, but we're not going to, out of, out of a desire to honor God, or it's there's severe stiff opposition as I'm seeking to obey God, but I'm going to choose to obey anyway. Hmm. The root of that is that God is worthy of that, of that act of obedience, of that, of that work still. Um, it takes my, I think, my perspective in a better place than just focusing on what the opposition is or how hard it's going to be or, 
focus on myself, really, um, to, well, my, guy, my guy's actually worthy of this. Um, now, we'll see how that actually goes into practice <laughs> in the coming weeks and months, but um, theologically or in my heart, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to, to behold, I guess. Yeah, that's good. Gary? We should end there. Sounds good, <laughs> you guys. <laughs> hey, Carrie, thanks for joining us. It was fun. We're yeah. glad. We're glad yeah. to have you. Here's your here's your warning, people who are listening. Never come by the building on a Monday afternoon because you might get pulled <laughs> into a podcast unaware. So, Carrie, thank you for we're joining super us. Yeah, yeah, really thankful for your words. Yeah. Helpful. Uh, thanks for listening, and we will. Talk to you later, I guess. Yeah. Keep the questions coming in. We want to keep we want to keep interacting with you all about questions you have. Yeah. So. Info at the townchurch.org is how you can get a hold of us. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Yep. Bye. Bye.